Welcome to A Moment of Bach, where we take our favorite moments from the composer's vast musical output, just a minute's worth or even a few seconds, and show you why we think they are remarkable. We are your hosts, Alex and Christian Giebert. This week we're starting a three-part series on Brandenburg Concerto number four. For each of these episodes, we're going to be looking at a moment from each movement. So, today's moment that Christian has chosen is from Brandenburg Concerto for Movement 1. Today, Alex, I'd just like to start by just explaining the most basic parts of the idea that we're talking about, which is concertos. What are they? What, yeah. what does that mean? Let's just start from that. So a concerto is basically a feature, a feature of a solo instrument or instruments. Sometimes there is just one, like maybe, for example, a Vivaldi violin concerto. And sometimes the instruments that are featured is a small group, maybe two, like recently we had the Bach double concerto. So there is either one or more featured instruments And when they are a group of featured instruments, that's a concertino, we call that section. And then the background performers that are playing the rest of the orchestral accompaniment is called the ripieno. And that's the basic format. It's pretty simple. However, it's usually very simplified. The ripieno is usually made up of strings. And in the Baroque time, maybe a keyboard instrument like a harpsichord. And that's it. Yeah. Let's say there was a violin concerto. There'd be a violin soloist. And then there'd probably be in the orchestra a section of players playing two more violin parts, then some viola violas to play a viola part, then maybe a bass part played by the cello, doubled by the by a bass with a keyboard instrument also there. That's the basic structure. Then there's a such thing as a concerto grosso, which means that there's a big group of soloists. So what we have here with Bach's Brandenburg concertos is really much more than that. He takes the idea of a concerto to its logical extremes in this one. With complexity, texture, and orchestration, it's just so musically dense. What you're hearing in Brandenburg Concerto 4 is a solo violin and two solo recorders called flutes back in the day. What, you, what you're thinking of as a recorder that like you learn in third grade, that's what this is. It's uh, actually older than, than the flute that you're thinking of, right? We've talked about this before. Yeah. The flute that you're thinking of when you think of the orchestral flute is a side-blown flute, transverse flute. That's newer. Bach used that too. When he did, he called for it in his score. He called it transverse flute. Yeah. But flute meant this. So we got two recorder parts. We have a ripieno of two violins, a viola, and then, interestingly, unlike most of anyone's other works in this time period, Bach writes out three different bass parts here. He writes out a cello part. He writes out a violon part, which is like an old version of a double bass viol, and that sounds really deep and low. And then he writes out a continuo part, and that is the bass line written out that the keyboard left hand plays. So there's a lot going on here in terms of orchestration that's a lot more subtle than he needed to be. In other words... 
Bach put a lot more work into this than he needed to. Yeah. Of course, that's not, that's putting it too lightly because this is great because he put in all those little touches. And if he hadn't, it might just be one of a million concertos like a lot of the ones that Vivaldi wrote. Vivaldi wrote some beautiful music, but it's far simpler than what's going on here. So at the beginning, we have this idea of three notes in short succession. One, two, three. Sometimes solo instruments are moving up and down. Sometimes they're holding out a note. And this is my favorite aspect that I'd like to talk about today, is that despite all of the interesting, busy things that are happening with the soloists, fast notes, short notes, there's often a through line of one soft, long note in the background. This enrichment of the musical texture in this way gives it a real nice dimension that it would not have otherwise. Um, Alex, around measure 19, yep, and uh, 22, 23 actually, we have the first recorder ending up on this high A. It's passed to the violin. And then it's passed back to the violin again in a lower register. And it moves around. The piece, the piece always has so much forward momentum because from that point on, it's pushing up and up and up until it drives towards this, this cadence. Have the most satisfying rhythmic decoration that we've, we've actually talked about this a couple times, Alex, the hemiola effect. Mm-hmm. But this one is so different because it happens so fast and it happens twice in a row. This bum 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 that thing. Yeah, because we've got this we've got this meter that's like one two three one two three one two three. So then, how do we explain the part that goes ba 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 da 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 dum ba dum? That just sounds like it completely got out of time. Meanwhile, another part is going bum ba bum ba bum ba bum ba bum ba bum ba bum. Yeah, and those together make this amazing stereo effect. Yeah. What's really happening uh, metrically is that we have shifted from three to two for uh, six groups of two, right? We've gone one, two, three, one, two, three, and then we're suddenly in one, two, one, two, one, two, one, two, one, two, one, two, one. Christian, you do the you do the violin part, I'll do the recorder part, you just bump bump. Not notes, just rhythms. At seventy nine. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Uh, ready? Ready? Yeah. One, two, three. I knew that would be hilarious. You got to pan that left and right so that that's extremely obvious. Yeah. Yeah. It's strange, delightful, and intricately complex all at the same time. It's fantastic. Obviously, goes without saying, as you can probably understand, listener, just by hearing the performance, is that it's real. It's also really hard. <laughs> so, the right. amount of control to pull something like this together with this small ensemble takes uh, a really professional level. Bach knew he was writing at the highest level, but also 
the the flutes in particular, the recorders, they are incredibly hard to control. Yeah. We talked about the recorders a little bit in our Gotis Zeit episode, the Actus Tragicus episode. They are an older instrument. They almost sound more ancient in a way. And Bach uses them for that reason sometimes in the cantatas. I love the recorder, and I can't explain why, Alex. The recorder is is a very hated instrument <laughs> uh, in some circles because it makes some people just think of, like, third-grade music class. Right, and it is, you know, just like you would expect from a child who just learned how to play this thing and doesn't really know what they're doing yet. It is hard to control the sound on an instrument like that and make it sound good, and the breath control is everything. And also, you're dealing with, you know lower quality plastic instruments with with kids so it's not really even all that fair to blame it all on the kids but of course it's just a lack of experience but with these these nice quality instruments and with professionals playing them you can tell it does not sound like third grade class anymore you know yeah exactly very well said at a high professional level it's it's like a lot of other instruments except for that it's now an archaic instrument which also happens to be hard particularly hard to play because of actually some reasons that make it sound bad when kids play it too. Which is interesting because my, I guess my, my thesis here is that it's not, it's not even that kids play it. It's just hard uh, because mm-hmm. that's what everyone always says because Bach typically writes for a pair of recorders, which is incredibly difficult to ask. He must have had some really good flute players. Yeah. Sometimes they have to play in unison. In this movement, they're often playing separately, but still, the point the point is the same. It's a hard instrument to control. Anyone who's played a recorder, if you can remember being a kid doing it, if you did, you might remember that it's incredibly receptive and sensitive to changes in pressure. You can barely blow in it and it will make a sound. Yeah. But if you blow in it too hard, it's easy to blow in it too hard. It's very easy to overblow it. And then it will make a bad sound and go sharp or jump an octave. Incredibly difficult instrument to control. Yeah, there's a great interview that's a companion piece to this Brandenburg 4 video from the Netherlands Bach Society, which we will link, in which the recorder player, Heiko Terschegit, talks about this particular challenge of playing the recorder. And he mentions if you blow too hard, the pitch rises. If you blow too soft, the pitch goes down. And you have to be thinking of these things as you want to get louder or softer. You might want those dynamic choices, but you have to have the intonation or the tuning choices in mind or the tuning inconsistencies that the instrument actually has in mind. Mm -hmm. It truly boggles my mind to look at these recorder parts and imagine having to play them as an amateur recorder player myself. I do have a couple of recorders. I play them for fun. I mean, I definitely do not play them professionally, nor should I. (laughs) But I think I'd rather attempt that than the solo violin part. Yeah. which has to be pulled off with a lot of technical aplomb here and is done so very well by Shinsuke Sato, as you would expect. Um, you know, he is the artistic director of the Netherlands Bach Society and also takes the featured solo role on many of these works. And 
talk about a solo role in this particular concerto. And he makes a great comment also about um, how he his part just really takes over. All of a sudden, it's just all over the place. And it, look at me, look at me, like I'm the I'm the important thing now. Like look at me, and the other people get relegated to sort of you know second chair. Yeah, in some, in some ways, the two recorder solo parts almost sound just like the violin ripiano parts. And sometimes they alternate with each other. And that leads us to a, a really big point about the Brandenburg Concerto Number no. 4, yeah. as well as other Brandenburg Concertos. Right. They don't just stretch the concerto idea to like as complicated as it can be and as technically proficient and virtuosic as you can be because they do Bach writes to the most extreme end of these instruments which is amazing but also they stretch the definition of what a concerto even is because this one is like it starts and it's a violin and two flutes concerto but then the violin kind of steals the spotlight for a while later it's the recorders get get more say in the in the second one. Yeah, uh, but then the violin jumps back in in the third one and relegates the the flutes to almost a line just as important as one as one of the background piano instruments. It's it's interesting how, the, how yeah. it, it alternates. Yeah. And the way that Bach has taken so much precision in the way he orchestrated the music. I mean, there's a written out bass part. It's just unusual. I mean, there are there are symphonies written a hundred years later that don't have a written out bass part, just about hundred yeah. years. Well, and you know he was, I mean, in the in Brandenburg three, which we've talked about, that had three violins, three violas, and three cellos, very unusual, plus a continual part. And the cool thing about that was there wasn't even a marked concertino and ripieno section. Like they weren't they they just kind of shared, and it was whoever was playing at the moment that traded off all the concerto material. So, like you say, Christian, Bach is clearly playing with these forms and stretching them and seeing what he can do with them. It really is an apex of form, the, the Brandenburg Concertos. It really, it's really the top. So then the next thing to do is, is to check out the section near the end where that material happens again. But in this particular performance by the Netherlands Bach Society, my um, pedal tone that I was explaining earlier in this episode, when I say pedal tone, I mean like the, the stable long note that in this case snakes between the instruments. It's the recorder and then it's the violin high and then it's the violin playing low. That one tone that is consistently passed through each instrument, now they're going to start doing a little bitty trill on it, which is really nice. Mm -hmm. Not written in the music at all, by the way. Just goes to show you um, our point that we always make about Baroque ornamentation. The performers had to make these decisions to beautify little aspects of the music themselves.
Yeah, that pedal point gets passed around through everybody in the orchestra. There's a point where it is in all the bass instruments. Yep, there's a point where it is in like just the written out cello part in the ripiano plus the viola and two violins in the ripiano. Then of course there's times where it's just the recorders playing it. Yeah, it's a bunch of different notes. Sometimes it's G, sometimes it's A, sometimes it's D. Those are the ones that are long. Well, and then when these are happening, there's always something else happening in the texture, of course. There's these short notes, like you said, Christian, with the three the three short notes, the bum, 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 happening somewhere. And then there's the main theme, which is the bum, 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 da-da-dum, bum, 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 happening somewhere else, usually recorders, but somewhere somewhere and then the, da, 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 the quick leaping notes are in there too there's also and, a rising figure like da, 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 that is always present there is and then then coming into cadences usually there's this other thing where it's like where it's like one two three one and those are kind of falling in little in little double note figures this they're little repeated notes So all these little building blocks are used economically and Bach, you know, as usual, gets a lot of mileage out of all this stuff. And then every every so often, it only happens four times, is is that hemiola effect that you mentioned earlier that we that we talked about, the rhythmic trick. He does that. And I love that third one, which happens to land on well, before it lands, it happens to sit on a Neapolitan chord, which is probably something we should talk about in a future episode, but it is a cool, interesting hmm device yeah the harmony is interesting there we'll get into that in a future episode for sure that particular harmonic device that's used there very colorful and moody and then you've got another gesture this is related to the the flowy moving up gesture but like here over at measure 235 and and on there's so many measures in this piece because they go by so fast and each one is basically one big beat long one two three that's that's a measure in this piece but in measure 235 there's this figure in the solo violin that's rising and it is echoed one beat later by a rising figure in the first piano violin and it is echoed again in in unison in the same pitch yeah uh, in the second violin And when I look at this, when I just look at the music, it looks hard because I'm looking at a top staff where that that person's going to be solid, but he gets to go first. The harder thing is going to be to to follow. And that harder job is given to the people who aren't even featured. It's given to the ripieno violinists. Yeah. So they have the thankless task of not being a soloist here, but also having to have this completely independent part that has to be nailed perfectly. Yeah. rhythmically it's hard but of course when it is achieved correctly it creates this effortless little wave that just echoes quickly and fluidly and it's incredibly smooth and and very interesting yeah and only having three different three separate violin parts do this could get you this effect you know I mean, you could put one of these on the viola parts but the fact that it's three separate violins has to be yeah. doing this is why it sounds the way it does because they all sound fairly equal. Uh, 
I also really love the um, part just a little bit before that, Christian, which is on measure 215. And that's where the first violin, or the, the solo violin, right? The, the concerto violin gets to do the bum 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 but this time in double stops which means he's playing two notes at right. a time he's playing chords depending on your definition of a chord <laughs> some people would say it has to be three or more notes but anyway it's he's playing two notes at a time in harmony in sixths which isn't the hardest thing that he has to do in this in this movement it's it's still tricky but it is just a nice little showcase But even then, after he's doing that for a while, the recorders get to come in with some fast, floaty stuff too. So there's always this there's always this sort of playful trading off of who gets to do the fun stuff. Mm-hmm. And the textures are so, so fantastic. I mean, he's got that wavy part I mentioned earlier. It's written pianissimo, which means extra soft, like very soft. It's written in Bach's own autographed manuscript. I just looked. It's, he wrote that. And that's, yeah. Baroque composers didn't always write the dynamic markings in, you know. And if they did, mostly just F for forte, P for piano, or forte or piano. And right. this one says pianissimo. So talk about, like, writing in extra expression than even what was necessary. Yeah. So he knew, I think he knew that he was writing something that was sort of extra picky, you know, like extra specific. Probably musicians of the time might have protested about how difficult and specific he was as a composer of of this music. I think we, we do know that some people objected to Bach for his music being too hard. Yeah. And this... I think well, that's a that's a pretty relatable feeling as a musician, right? As a performer, seeing something on the page, going like, "Oh, come on, you're gonna make me do that," (laughs) or even if it's not just a hard thing, but it's overly fussy, it's like, "All right, I get it. You want this phrase to go from mezzo piano to mezzo forte over like twelve measures. Like, do you really think that's gonna make a difference? Like, you know, second guessing the composer, what the composer wants, is a relatable (laughs) feeling, and obviously this works because it's. I mean, because it's Bach, right? But I, yeah, I, I see that. I see that as a possibility. I see people playing this and thinking, "What are you making me do here?" Yeah, it just takes a little bit of perseverance to, or the first people that had to say that about this, mm-hmm. the first few times it was it was ever done, and on and on until the present day, before it was finally. Before they finally got performance ready and realized that, oh, that's why. Because it's exquisitely beautiful and just a really well put together piece of music. That's why. Yeah, we've built that trust now. Yeah, it's too late now because now we already know the Brandenburg concertos are all really fantastic. So it's not fair to say anymore. They're, they're now famous. But before that, it's hard. it's hard to imagine. And now... Here is Christian's favorite pedal point moment from the first movement of Brandenburg Concerto Number no. 4. If this introduction to a musical moment has inspired you to hear the rest of Brandenburg Concerto Number no. 4, please see the link in our episode description to see its performance by the Netherlands Bach Society.
Do you want to hear our new episodes as we release them? Find us on your podcast app and hit subscribe. And you really should listen to the rest of the performance of this because it is what we will be talking about for the next two weeks. That's and right. you'll be extra ready to, to hear those episodes. That's right. Next week, we're looking at Movement 2 from the Brandenburg Concerto number 4. Until next time, enjoy those moments. <laughs>